based on the data generated by Wuhan, um, what numbers could there potentially be out in India at this case, at this stage, in terms of true numbers? How vulnerable are we to community transmission? So, what do the current numbers then tell you about herd immunity in India? Does contact tracing even work anymore, or are we already well in the phase of community transmission? In which case, what does contact tracing do? Is the government doing enough for the poor right now, or do you think the impact to them is going to be worse than what we saw during the demonetization? How about in terms of uh, healthcare accessibility? I mean, can the rural areas access healthcare? So, if you could tell us about your research. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bits and Pieces. Uh, my name is Noah, this is Rohan, and today we have with us a very special guest. We have Mr. Ramanan Lakshminarayan, who is a researcher at Princeton University, and he's also the founder of HealthCube, which is a solution for, it, which started off as a solution for people who didn't have access to medical attention and is now a solution for every home test. So, so if you could tell us about your research. So uh, my career has essentially been around two problems. One is I've, uh, you know, I'm interested in antibiotic resistance, which is the idea that if you overuse antibiotics, they don't work for other people. Uh, and that's a complex challenge because we all depend on antibiotics for everything. Uh, they save lives. And uh, when we overuse antibiotics, then it, we create resistant bugs that are going to harm other people as well. Right. Uh, that's a complex issue. You know, I've been working on that for many years. Uh, HealthCube is around uh, what might seem like a simpler problem in the sense that 4 billion people on the planet don't have access to healthcare or to diagnostics. And the technology to really solve that is within our reach. Right. And we started with uh, pregnant women. Pregnant women in India uh, are supposed to get what is called antenatal care. They're supposed to go get che checked for their blood pressure, hemoglobin, blood glucose, uh, oxygen saturation, syphilis, HIV. And typically it would take a woman about two days to go somewhere, get it tested in a primary health center. And so only about 5% of Indian women, mostly in urban areas, complete the four ANC visits. And if you don't complete those visits, you're at a higher risk for having a child which is uh, you know, uh, which is stillborn or uh, the mother dying at birth and so forth. And we found that if you could develop a technology that goes to the patient's home rather than them coming to a doctor's office, then you can make it accessible to millions of people who would otherwise not have access. That was the birth of HealthCube. Uh, we then decided that it could work for, uh, you know, doctor's offices, it could work for hospitals, it could work in people's homes. Eventually, I think everyone would have a HealthCube or something like a HealthCube at home where you don't go to a doctor when you don't feel well, but you're constantly being tracked at, in your home with data that's accessible to you uh, to figure out how you're doing. You should be able to check your cholesterol level every single day. So we're within reach of a device like that now, which can do 80% of what a diagnostic lab does. Okay. And wow. so now it's not just about people in remote areas without access to healthcare. It is literally everyone, because uh, if you have to go see a doctor, that's a four-hour trip. You book, you have to go, stand in line, et cetera, et cetera. But imagine if in 10 minutes you could figure out what's wrong with you. And much of medicine today is also big data and uh, pattern recognition, which anyway, computing can do a lot better than human beings can. It doesn't replace a doctor, 
but it makes a doctor a much more useful resource to connect with right. when you actually need that doctor right also like right now if we see in the current uh, indian startup ecosystem like there was like a sudden burst of like food tech and like right now there's a lot of uh, medical technology startups that are emerging so like what are your thoughts on it like is it like uh, some of the startups that are emerging in the medtech ecosystem what are your thoughts on it and like what are the areas that can be technologized if that's even a word or like or that should be left for human uh, expertise see you're asking a question <coughs> about a hypothetical possibility of something being left for human expertise if you are a poor pregnant woman in etoornagaram in telangana hmm. you don't have that choice there is no human right. being to leave yeah, things yeah, yeah. to you need yes. the technology Correct. so uh i think there's a often a wrong distinction that's drawn between things that are seen to have social impact versus not and social impact is considered if you're serving the 1.2 billion people who are not that top 100 million people that's social impact i happen to disagree with that i think that uh social impact can be achieved by serving people who are not the top 5% of the country but at the same time uh you can actually monetize it you can they have a need they have a real critical need and you can serve that need and build a business and i don't think a lot of health tech companies uh, are thinking ahead to who their customers are who's going to pay for it it's not enough just to solve a problem you have to go beyond it and offer that okay. solution and have someone be able to pay for it so uh and many of these tech companies are focused on this 100 million which is not a bad thing i'm not saying that that's bad right. just like spiggy delivers food if you have a customer that's willing to pay for food delivery you have a business okay. but do these solve existential problems for people in india i don't know right uh you, we watched you give an amazing lecture earlier uh, a talk and uh, you spoke about humanities and stem and education could you talk about that a little bit so this is something i'm really passionate about which is the idea that uh technology without any sort of soul can quickly go out of hand and you end up with uh, unintended consequences whether right. it's uh you know uh, crispr technology that's used to create customized babies for yeah. the very rich yeah. uh who are sort of superhumans or uh if it's uh uh you know e- even antibiotics you take it yeah. antibiotics were a great boon to mankind until we started misusing them and then now it creates all sorts of problems yeah. so i think we need to always embed technology in the context of humanity things that make us human i mean what makes us human it's literature it's music it's it's dance it's art i think these are very critical things to be trained in because then it brings a perspective to what you want out of technology as opposed to letting the technology drive in whichever direction it's really driving uh and i think that element needs to always temper what uh, what one chooses to pursue as a as a use case i mean nuclear is a great example you can have energy for everyone yeah. or you can be killing other people so correct like so like talking about stem and humanities in general uh like we know like bits promotes all of that so if you could elaborate on your time at bits and how it helped you to be the person you are and in uh, helping in your growth in your career uh, let me rephrase the question uh, first could you tell us how you got from bits to what where yeah. you are now how you decided to how you found yourself how you found this field where you're in right now and also uh, some things that you learned at bits maybe that Well, I think I credit bits for a lot of it. I think it was probably, uh, you know, for many people in my batch and for myself, it was the most formative experience we ever had. Mm, okay. We were thrown into a place where we literally had no connection with the outside world. Right. We didn't we couldn't call someone directly. So, it becomes a sort of a core uh, you know, environment in which to 
you can be free you can try out ideas you mm. you don't have to be judged by anyone and right. bit said i don't know how it is now it was a very supportive ecosystem yeah. for that it sort of a thing is, yeah. you know uh, i remember uh, one of my friends and i we uh, went just on our own initiative we went on a trek to pindari glacier we came back yeah. and we thought we really should have equipment to help students go on treks right. and the director at that time dr venkateshwaran um, he said okay fine and they sanctioned enough money to start a club uh. i don't know if that kind of ecosystem still exists i hope it does it, yeah. Yeah. but i think that's what makes us a very special place and i think if anyone chooses to come here it is to see this as this is the closest uh, at that time that came to what is called a liberal arts education which mm, is okay. you learn how to learn or you learn how to work in teams or you learn how to you know to do things like when right. we used to do oasis we did everything 100% right. is it still it's the still case that's yes, fantastic yes, yes. Yeah. so uh, you know if it was uh, everything from the art and decor to you know the sponsor, accommodation sponsors sponsor, and the whole yeah, thing yeah. so uh, i think those are experiences that you just can't make up in life mm -hmm. i mean you uh, you learn to work with other people you learn to solve problems that usually are only given to adults to solve right. and uh, i i don't know if even a campus in the us that has that kind of a ability to to get that kind of an experience right what do you think is the difference between a higher education over here and in the us well it's what very you, different like what do you think lacks maybe here or what do we have that's not I don't know if that's a useful comparison. I think okay. here is you have an opportunity to be in India where real problems are, where there's real connections, real mm -hmm. people. And I think uh you know, we graduated, my batch graduated in 92. Okay. Economic liberalization in this country was only 93. Right. So we literally had no opportunity to do the sorts of things that you guys can do right now. Right. Uh I mean, I don't think we could even think about starting a startup back then because it would probably involve like 2 years of paperwork and right. all sorts of things. Yeah. So I think the opportunities to you guys are so great mm. that uh you know, forget about whether you have the less computer best computer equipment that Princeton might have, MIT has. Mm. That's immaterial because right. today knowledge is accessible whatever they have. you have if you want to do a course on circuits out of MIT you know you yeah. can do that course yeah, right yeah. here so literally i just don't even see you know what the difference is you can be here use your environment and solve some of these big challenges we talked about 